Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr, and I'm here with Dr. Joe Malone. And today, we're going to be talking about how a young woman's sexual behavior affects her future health. So, Dr. Joe, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team Podcast again. Um, for those who haven't heard the previous episodes, would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a group of pro-life leaders or pregnancy clinic uh, executive directors? Yeah, I'd be glad to, Jacob, and thanks for having me. Um, I came to the uh, pregnancy care movement uh, probably three years ago now, so I'm, I'm a newcomer relatively. Uh, came because I'm very interested and really have a background in uh, pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy prevention. So uh, ran a women's uh, wellness program at a university here in Tennessee. And so I learned a lot uh, about the situation from that. But uh, again, they started sharing with me at some point about their um, really, really bad, bad experiences with something they called the hookup culture, which caught my attention. And uh, I started realizing that they needed a lot of help in their relationships rather than just their traditional, you know, wellness factors like exercise and nutrition. So my focus shifted to sexual wellness and particularly young women's sexual wellness. And I ended up getting my PhD uh, specialized in that. So that's how I came to this. Uh, again, for all of you um, folks out there that are interested in prevention, I'm, I'm your guy. Awesome. Yeah. And thanks for being here. So I want us to, um, I'd like to ask you, how does a young woman's sexual behavior affect her future health? Well, that's a great question, Jacob. And really, that's what the focus, really, the, the heart of my, I guess you'd call it ministry, my research and my efforts is really all around. Because this is one of the main things that brought me into this um, specialty and into this field was realizing how this behavior pattern or this lifestyle, uh, this wellness lifestyle that could either be developed or not developed by girls and young women at the younger ages, really, really has a huge effect on their future health. And what I mean by that is women's reproductive cancers are really a scourge amongst women. I'll get into more of that later. But uh, again, before this research, I didn't realize that so many things that girls and young women can do in their behavior pattern in their either developing a sexual lifestyle that's wellness oriented or not wellness oriented and wellness meaning you know preventing problems before they happen rather than trying to fix them after the after they happen um it really make a big difference how um they either implemented that or not and interestingly enough the behavior pattern really followed that's the healthy behavior pattern, the healthier, uh, really follows the biblical um, directives and mandates that, um, you know, the types of things that were told in the Bible as far as chastity before marriage and that type of thing. Let me give you some examples and I'll just walk us through some of the things that I'm talking about. I'm going to go to my notes here. <laughs> Early promiscuity leads to higher chances of vaginal and cervical cancer. So start, starting from the outside of a woman, you know, young woman's uh, anatomy, being promiscuous, particularly at young ages, leads to much higher chances of vaginal cervical cancer over her lifetime. Another interesting thing, none or minimal number of pregnancies and none or minimal breastfeeding uh, over her lifetime raises her lifetime chances of developing ovarian and uterine cancer. 
And again, I'll go and get into the reasons for these later. So again, working mm-hmm. inside of her now, uh, again, the, the idea of getting married younger, starting to have children, young babies, younger, uh, breastfeeding them, all the things that happen naturally uh, before we had uh, artificial birth control, especially, and before the, uh, our young people started delaying getting married and starting to have children so much has really affected, again, the, the, uh, the, the women's future reproductive cancer chances. It's going on, delayed childbearing. So that means, again, like what we're having now with our young women, a lot of them being over 30 when they're having starting to have their children, um, delayed childbearing and fewer pregnancies, so smaller number of children in the family, raise the risk of the lifetime development of breast cancer. And breast cancer is becoming outrageous as far as it's the rate. Get, get into that more in a little bit here. So here's a, here's a really interesting one. A woman who has her first child around the age of 20 has half the chance of developing breast cancer as a woman who has her first child around the age of 30. So I'll say that again one more time. A young woman who has her first child around the age of 20, again, presumably she's getting married and having starting to have her children, you know, along the lines of the er, in earlier years, kind of more than the normal ages, around the age of 20 has half the chance of developing breast cancer as the woman who has her first child around the age of 30. Mm. So we're getting a lot of young women who, you know, are just starting to even think about having children around, you know, they're just getting to the point where they're trying to find a, um, a marriage partner at around age 30. And if, um, you know, they, they may take them longer than they think to, to get married and then they start trying to have children. And of course, infertility starts, you know, peeking its ugly head at that point. And I'll get into that more later, but let's stick with the promiscuity. Another, which is again, a big part of my, my work is trying to promote sexual integrity. And again, particularly among women, because Again, that's my background, but also women are much more at risk for all these things than, than the men are. So a study out of, in t- 2020 out of UK that you know, had 5,000, over 5,000 people part of it, found that women with, a, with 10 sexual partners or more lifetime uh, have a 91% greater chance of being diagnosed with cancer than ones who have one or zero as far as you know pre premarital sexual partners so once again um it became clear to me in my research that the traditional approach the biblical approach um you know is not only right ethically but it's also right scientifically and medically let me go on a few other points here and then we'll i'll stop and see if all this makes sense breast cancer as i said earlier um has become a scourge in our society it's the number one uh, most, I guess you'd say, diagnosed cancer in the world. It became that in the end of 2020, uh, surpassing lung cancer. And again, only one, 99% of the people that get breast cancer are women. So we're talking about basically one whole side of the population that's, that's really um, having this really hit them hard whereas only get 1% of men end up getting breast cancer. So uh, again, it goes along with this change in lifestyle pattern from from the 19, probably 50s, maybe 60s, early 60s back where, um, you know, 1960, only 5% of the population, 5% of the births were were being born um, out of wedlock. So almost everybody was getting married and 
the percentages I don't have in front of me uh, right now, but they're very high for 18 and over be, being married um, and, and that type of thing. So that normal pattern of, of marriage, starting to have children younger, again, uh, a woman's uh, peak fertility is from age 19 to 29. And then a man's is from 24 to 26. But breast cancer has become, like I said, a scourge. And the bad news on that is that it's much more deadly than the cancers that men get, for instance, reproductive cancers like um, prostate cancer. Um, the numbers are about the same uh, for breast, uh, prostate and breast cancer as far as the numbers that, that people are getting them, males and females. But even though they're about the same, women's mortality rate with it um, is 45% more likely to die from the, the, the disease. So these are serious, serious issues for women as, as they age. And most of those are from like, most of the breast cancer deaths are from about 40 to about 60. So it's not older women. In most cases, it's, it's middle age or what we, some people would consider younger. Another, another factor is that women have many more, have the twice as many um, different places that they can get, different sites that they can get reproductive cancers. There's actually six of them, cervical, ovarian, uterine, vaginal, vulvar, and breast cancer. Whereas men can only get it in three places, testicular, penile, and prostate. So if things are set up as far as women, um, holding the bag, so to speak, on pro prom uh, promiscuous, promiscuous sex or casual sex or hookup culture or whatever you want to call it. So um, what I'm trying to advise and, and educate young women particularly on is that this isn't casual. There's nothing casual about it. And there's nothing that is um, probably rewarding other, other than the, the momentary feeling of, of having experienced it. But there are so many downsides and, there, and there's so many reasons that uh, not, not to do it. Our society, Jacob, now has 100 times more breast cancer than our ancestral society did. So there's a number of factors in addition to the, what, I, what I've just mentioned, but let's, let me just give them to you real quick here. In ancestral societies, um, the women, again, where they were naturally cycling, um, they were coming, they were getting to um, menstruation later because they're more active and, and had less body fat, which is a factor in our girls developing, you know, their periods for uh, earlier, but they're coming to menstruation later, let's say 18, 19, and, and is regularizing about that around that time period. They were getting married around 20, 21. Well, a lot of, actually a lot of the women were getting married in their late teens. And so they're hitting that sweet spot as far as 19 to 29, um, being the peak fertility. And again, I believe God gives us messages through these things as far as, um, you know, the, the, the natural pattern, there's a, there's a message for us there, there to follow it. So, um, and, and again, the, the other factors that are involved in that is they were pregnant much more than our, our women are these days. So in our society, because of hormonal birth control, because of other, other, other methods of, of, uh, preventing pregnancy, <clears throat> The women on average have, well, I'll give it to you, the ancestors first. The ancestors had only about 160 cycles in their, in their reproductive life. And what meaning that they're pregnant or, or breastfeeding on demand and um, the breastfeeding on demand keeps the, their cycle from starting. So 
the natural way of being for women in, in our past, which is a long time, a lot of generations before us, was this, once you reach, reach reproductive uh, age and you get married, again, marriage was, was much more common than it is now, um, then the baby baby making stage was something that this this went on throughout their reproductive life. But a lot of people will look at that today and say, oh, that's horrible. You know, it's terrible. Women didn't have a chance to be, you know, astronauts or uh, lawyers or, or doctors or whatever. And I agree that that's important that women have the opportunity to develop whatever they truly want to be. But this whole factor of trying to ignore the way things have been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of generations before us um, is really foolish, I believe. So um, what happens is every time they have a, a cycle, and again, we're getting, the ancestors had about 160. Our, our women are getting uh, around uh, 450, 450 in their lifetime. So every time that they have a cycle, the cells in their ovaries, first of all, a egg when it comes to maturation when it gets ripe, the one that, that is the one for that that uh, time, uh, it rips it rips the ovary wall basically and leaves a scar, and so um, that process leads to a greater chance of cancer. Also, in in the woman's breasts, every time there's a every time there is a um, a cycle uh, period. Um, her breast tissue changes over. And so every time we have those higher levels of, of cell changes, you raise the chances of, of a cancer developing. So that's probably one of the major factors right there. Other than the, all the other things I've named as far as the promiscuity and the lower number of births and not, not breastfeeding and that type of thing, that the fact that they're just having, they're having so many more, more menstrual mm. cycles is, is a huge, huge factor. And so all that said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop and see if you have thoughts or questions. All that said, it's been a very unhealthy direction we've gone with with our women. One other quick thing to, for you to note that, and we'll get into how, if you want, how um, abortion affects all of this as well, because I want to save that for 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 you know kind of later in our talk. Um, in 1973, when Roe versus Wade was the ruling was made only about one in a thousand women were getting breast cancer, if you can believe that. you have any idea how, what the percentage is now of, of women getting breast I, cancer? I don't know. It was one in a thousand. Yeah, it was one in a thousand in 1973. It's now one in eight. Oh, wow. So it's gone from one in a thousand in that much time, in that short of a time period. So so anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. Any, are there any thoughts or questions you have on any of that? Um, I do have a question. So... What's the difference between, um, well, I, I have a couple of questions. One is, it's really interesting that the number of cycles is relevant and that being pregnant and breastfeeding reduces the number of cycles, which is reducing the impact of those, those cycles by, yeah, through natural processes of breastfeeding. Um, so one question I have, you know, saving the abortion topic for a little bit down the road here, what's the difference between breastfeeding yeah. versus formula? Um, how does formula impact um, a woman's um, body and breastfeeding and cycles? Um, so like if she decides to use formula instead of breastfeeding, 
what's yeah can you can you talk about that scenario yeah 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 that's a great question um not only humans but most other mammalian species uh, have the same mechanism that when the when the, when the female is lactating and you know milk is, is, is being produced and they're breastfeeding on demand where that where that infant or in our, our case infant but uh baby animal of some other type is coming and, and suckling on on uh their nipple and that process there's a whole chemical process that that tells um their their ovulation system to stay shut down it only it only lets off when that 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 um I guess you'd say that that uh, phenomenon that they're experiencing with the breastfeeding on demand goes away. Now, a lot of women have this, and so they're again they remain infertile, and that's again not just us, but but most other mammals. It's the same kind of system. So, uh, it seems to be, in my opinion, it seems to be a system that God has put into us that is natural as far as when you have a really small baby you know and again going back into our ancestral times which has been most of the time that, that humans have been here if you had that situation where you you know just had the baby and you were breastfeeding uh, and then you got, got pregnant right away on top of it first of all the woman's body isn't ready for that after after going through that but but secondly it would be tough to be able to support you know um a pregnancy plus you know, like a, a three or four month month old uh, infant at the same time. So, to me, it's a, a wondrous uh, system that God put into us. Not only not only us, but again, uh, many, maybe most of all of the other mammalian species. So, um, with with uh, infant for, formula, again, you're not getting that you're not getting that interaction and that chemical process. When a baby suckles on her on his his or her mother's breast. A, bu a bunch of oxytocin is released. And again, oxytocin, there's something called prolactin. Again, the pro and lactin, lac uh, lactating. And prolactin particularly is an anti-libido, anti-testosterone and estrogen um, hormone. Because again, it, as long as it's strongly present in the system, the her cycle's not, not going to kick back into, uh, into gear. An example of in in the wild in other species, um, an unfortunate example, how this is is kind of circumvented, is with some species of let's let's say bear, let's say let's or say maybe a, maybe orangutan or something along that chimpanzee, um, not not chimpanzee because they're promiscuous, um, but species that aren't so promiscuous. If there if an alpha male, if there's a new alpha male um that defeats the old alpha male uh coming about with in in the relationship oftentimes the alpha male the new alpha male will kill kill the the young if there's young you know like, like suckling type young of let's say the bear and that that will bring you know back the the female bear back into into heat into re, into estrus but otherwise she won't be in and she won't go into estrus until that time where the where the bear cub gets um, weaned. So, and how, how wild animals know that and know to do that, uh, I have no idea. But again, this is a really, really deep system that has been with us for a long, long time. And again, with the way society has become where we can just kind of walk away from that, you know, create 
infant formula and, um, you know, circumvent that system, that's where you do get sometimes these pregnancies, you know, because when there isn't on-demand breastfeeding, as you, I'm sure you know, and your listeners know, if it isn't on-demand, then, you know, that woman's going to have a tendency to go back into normal sexual cycling and be, and become fertile again. So, so anyway, all that said, uh, back in times, in most of our history, times that were rougher as far as survival goes, these systems we're talking about were wondrous as far as keeping things on the right track to be able to produce a healthy family, a large healthy family, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so out of all these different cancers, what's which ones are the which is the most likely is it is it breast cancer the most likely one for a woman to be at risk with in these scenarios or yeah which how would you compare the different cancers oh it, it is now yes it's it's a leading uh, uh female reproductive cancer leading as far as numbers go um the most deadly one still though is the ovarian ovarian cancer again those excess numbers of, of menstrual cycles where, again, every time, let me give you the, the background on that. All females, all, all human females are, are, they start out with about 7 million eggs, you know, in utero, in their mother's womb. And by the time they're born, it's down to about 1.5 million. It's, it's a process of starting with all these eggs for their whole lifetime. This is like their lifetime supply. And the degrading, the, the degradation of them over their lifetime. So 1.5 million when they're born, by the time they get to puberty, where they can actually use them, you know, they're down to about 400,000, three to 400,000. And then there's several thousand each time they, <clears throat> each time they menstruate that are degraded. And there's only one that's, that's chosen to become the, the follicle to, to ripen and burst. And, and then it makes its, its way down the flick, the fallopian tubes and you know the rest of the process um and so the the rip though that happens there again these eggs are getting older by the day as far as um their age as far as things as far as uh raising the the chances of uh chromosomal uh abnormalities or not and again the younger the better on that um but also that that ripping of the ovary and and it's scarring is also raising the, the the chances of ovarian cancer and ovarian cancer is so deadly mostly because it's you don't find out about it until it's too late it doesn't show symptoms until it's too late so that's a really scary one for for women on the other hand to to compare to the other sex again this is i think very interesting and probably most of the people may know this but the women's side of things is a limited supply. Um, and by the way, the the uh, egg cell is like 10 million times larger than the, the sperm cell. The egg cell is the largest cell in, in, in the human body, and the um, sperm cell is the smallest uh, cell in the human body because the egg cell is, is carrying with it a ton of nutrition mm. to, to be able to get the pregnancy started once the, the union is started. But... On the male side of things, so there's a ton of ton of these sperm, as you probably know already, that's being produced, uh, like two to three hundred, high three hundred million um, sperm in one ejaculate, and it's being replaced at 
once that happens at 2,000 sperm a second. So 2,000 sperm a second are being, are being manufactured by us males uh, once that, that takes place. Um, so it's kind of like a conveyor belt. So even though there is some factor to males aging as well, because older male sperm has a higher chance of producing chromosomal abnormalities as well, but not nearly the same as, as females because over age 30, it really starts to, to rise as far as their, their, again, their eggs have been, you know, they're as old as they are plus, plus six months, six, seven months. So the sperm that the men are producing are just, have, are freshly made basically, even, even if the man is older. So there's a much lower chance that he's, his age is going to be a factor on down syndrome and things like that, or a, a still birth or, or premature uh, birth or um, down. Yeah. There is a down syndrome. Um, there's one other that I'm, I'm not thinking of right now, but it's like, like it's like being, Oh, miscarriage, miscarriage. So the woman's age is a huge factor and most women don't realize and kind of our society does a bad job about this, that 30 is really, really starting to get, you know, it's getting late in the, late in the game. So, um, that we have a whole issue, as I know you, you know, uh, Jacob, because we, I think we discussed it last time, of they call it population collapse or, or demographic demographic collapse, or um, basically the idea is that people around the world in the developed countries are having less and less children, and because of that, uh, the, the the numbers of older people, aging people, are really really growing and the age ages of young people babies first of all and then up into their you know really working life age is really really declining so for instance south korea is at 0.7 you have to have 2.1 you know to to replace the the population they're at 0.7 and what they're projecting is that well actually the, the present case is that for every people that are of grand grandparent age over there every 100 grandparents there's only four grandkids mm. so we're looking at in, in south korea you're looking at and, and if you, even if you start you know right away start having trying to have babies more babies you've got a 20-year lag time there before they get up to where they're you know able to be the kind of productive people in the of society that we need them to be so if you can see and that's that is very very common the only places in the world that aren't don't have declining um and non-replaceable, non-replacing uh, birth rates is uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And they're, they're going that direction as well. Uh, they're starting to go that direction as well. So it's, it's rather than the population bomb that the, the you know, the book in the 1960s uh, was, was putting fear in people's life, uh, minds about uh, too many people on the planet, we're ending up with not enough people and particularly the, the, the ones that we need the most, which are the ones that are the uh, young ones that are going to be able to replace all of the older generations. So, so mm. again, that's kind of a big, that's a lot of information there, but, but it's important information and it's inf information that most people don't know. Any thoughts or questions? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Thank you for explaining that. That's, well, as sort of yeah, I'm yeah, I'm very well interested in going into this next section to talk about abortion, and I'm sort of wondering, 
what are the different classifications? Like there's, there's women who have never been pregnant, those who have been pregnant and breastfed, those who have been pregnant and decided to uh, use formula. So their breastfeeding was short lived. And then there's also those who, um, who got pregnant and then ended up having an abortion at different stages in the pregnancy that's going to impact their, um, their breasts, uh, getting partially prepared for breastfeeding, but maybe not. Yeah. So tell me what are the different stages of, you know, when it comes to the different scenarios, then maybe you can, you can expand on the ones that seem to be most helpful. Okay. Another excellent question. Uh, it's hard to parse that out exactly, but what I would say to the, to the majority of your early part of your question is, you know, again, within reason, the, the younger a woman can get, get married. And I say, I emphasize marriage and, you know, marriage, then, then childbearing. <laughs> a lot of cases that's, that doesn't work out that way either, but marriage, and we can maybe talk about this in another, another episode. Uh, but marriage really just uh, acts in such a positive way to 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 be secure, uh, add to the security, particularly of the woman, that it's it's got many 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 positive factors to it. But so let's presume earlier marriage. Let's presume somewhere around twenty, um, and then pregnancy soon you know soon thereafter maybe twenty one twenty two. Again, doing that, uh, choosing not to not to bottle feed but breastfeed. And then not too long after that, maybe three years, you know, three years total, maybe start having another child. And then, you know, that process for three years, breastfeeding for those, a lot of that three years of time in between. Um, and then doing it again, all of those things, again, really, really, um, let's put it this way. Starting earlier, having babies, again, presuming being married, um, having many babies, breastfeeding them. All of those things are extremely positive. Um, you take out any of the any of those that combination, um, and you, you start l raising breast, particularly breast cancer, but then other, all the other cancers I mentioned. You know, cervical, uh, vaginal, ovarian, uh, uterine, um, and, and endometrial. Uh, all all those are raised by not following that traditional traditional pattern. Uh, a big big one though is a big one is that. Is the numbers having lower numbers is a bit the big risk factor, and then of course breastfeeding kind of goes along with that. But the age of having your first baby. Now this is important for women to to hear, and girls even to hear, because a a girl or woman who has her first baby around twenty, let's say even right at twenty, let's say she was pregnant at nineteen, has half the chance, as I said probably earlier has half the chance of developing breast cancer as a woman that's 30 or greater, you know, having her first, her first mm. child around 30. So having that first child earlier is a huge factor. Um, a woman, you know, a woman that has uh, several babies over the course of re reproductive life, again, has a lower chance of, 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 uh, of particularly breast cancer. But uh, a woman who waits till after 30 to have to have her first one, this is, this is kind of a, a crazy statistic, but a woman who waits till after 30 to have her first baby, her for, first full term, you know, pregnancy and baby actually 
has a higher chance than some than a woman who never has babies at all. So having being pregnant over 30 with your first baby, there's something about that that is um, it goes against the natural system of, of, the, of the body. So again, looking back in our history and our, our, to our ancestors, you know, pre 1845, and this is news to a lot of people too, but the hormonal birth control, you know, uh, invented in 1960, that's famous, but and it's, it had a big impact. But if you look at fertility rates, birth rates, you know, uh, historically, let's just take the United States. Well, you could take many countries in the world because the charts kind of show similar things in the different countries, but especially in the United States, after about 1845, birth rates start going down. Okay. They, it was like around seven, seven children per average per woman. And it starts heading down on a pretty steep decline. And it has a couple of jumps because of the, the wars, like World War II, it jumps up uh, after World War II and the, uh, the baby boom generation, and it's continued on down from there. Most people don't realize that in 1845, Goodyear, <clears throat> yeah, the tire company, got a uh, patent for vulcanizing rubber. And so from 1845-ish on, the, 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 con the condom, um, invention really came about kind of mid 1800s. So, uh, so that made a big difference as far as being able to, uh, prevent births as well, going from seven down to what it is now, uh, less than two. So it, it wasn't just the hormonal birth control, although that has been a big, big factor. And, and we could have a whole other talk about the harms of hormonal birth control on, on women as well, but we they will save that for another day. So there's all of that. Plus, uh, abortion. You know, again, abortions didn't become overall legal until 1973. And we said that, you know, women's chances of developing cancer in 1973 before Roe versus Wade uh, were one in 1,000. Now the chances of developing breast cancer is one in eight in a woman's lifetime. So not just our ancestral, as we think of way back when, which is again, hundred, they were hundred times less, more, less, less likely, but you've got, you've got this one in a thousand in 1973, and then now it's one in eight. So if you want to, we can talk about how reproduction or how um, <laughs> abortion has affected it. Yeah. I think that would be good to affect, you know, to talk about how a abortion impacts um, the woman's body. Um, and, yeah. And maybe in contrast to a, a pregnancy when someone's in that 20 to 29 year old window and breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, that does sound like that would be good to explore. Well, again, yeah. If you, if you think about it, Jacob, everything artificial we've been talking about, everything is a natural, you know, from the process of again, getting married and starting to have babies or the natural way uh, just as it happens. Everything that goes away and then breastfeeding them and having however many kind of God gives us, everything that goes away from that raises, raises uh, cancer risk for, for a woman. But in particular, I think, and again, this has been politically, uh, uh, you know, a, a political football, as you know, and a lot of our listeners will know for a long time. But and there's been a lot of people trying to say that, that, that abortion doesn't have anything to do with risk of cancer, you know, reproductive cancers for women. But. I think there's just too, there's too much evidence, you know, going the other way. So I'll, I'll 
and the other thing is since 73, you know, again, the one in a thousand chance of breast cancer and for a woman and now the one in eight, that's a short amount of time relatively, you know, for, for that kind of a change to happen. So basically and on, on abortion, the situation is that that process, you know, that, that natural process of becoming pregnant, carrying the pregnancy, giving birth and then, and then breast breastfeeding in most cases, that's interrupted. And it, it's really, um, you know, it's it's it, it's it surprised me when I saw this research, but it's all the way up to 32 weeks, which, of course, would be would be eight months. So the, the pregnancies that are boarded up to 32 weeks, which would be almost all of them, have this effect of interrupting this natural cycle uh, of the breasts, the breast tissue changing through, again, <clears throat> this whole, the whole process of the, the prolactin being increased in their bodies and other, other hormones falling. Um, there's, a, there's a natural process that seems to be in place where the breasts over the course of the pregnancy while the baby's in utero uh, change their cells to cancer resistant cells, more cancer resistant cells. And so if you interrupt that process, again, all these are natural processes that we're interrupting by, you know, man-made artificial means. Uh, when you interrupt that process, they don't become the cancer resistant cells that they, they would have been. And again, particularly if the woman has her baby, her first baby, closer to 20 and, and not so close to 30, the, the process seems to really be messed up if she waits, you know, to have, to have the baby. If, 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 uh, if she doesn't abort the first baby and she aborts one of the, some of the sub subsequent babies is not as much effect as well. So it's, Aborting the baby, particularly a first pregnancy, which is probably statistically, I don't have the stats on this, but you or some of your listeners probably do, probably much more likely that a first baby would be aborted than later babies. Um, that's really the most dangerous one as far as starting this uh, anti-protective process. So um, there's an there's a automatic prevention process cellularly and, and, and biochemically in, in a woman's body if she's generally following the, pro the natural process of having a, a baby and probably having it again, pre 20, age 25, as opposed to, you know, post 30 and that type of thing. And again, if she just go, if she carries out the process, the, the, the pregnancy process, there's this automatic um, change in her breast cells to make them cancer resistant as, as opposed to the ones that were the, pregnancy is interrupted. So that's something that they don't want young women to know because again, it's supposed to be all about, you know, their health and, and well-being, the, the, the women who are having the, the abortions. But this is one other factor. And because there's been such a, a, a um, resistance and a um, unwillingness to, to research this strongly, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a ton, I think, of, of research on it that is showing that that's, that's the case. So um, so that the lesson there is you, you break the process that God has put in place that radically. And again, there's going to be a, a price to be paid, paid for probably down the line. Now, all of these, you know, for any of your listeners that are, are listening and might be getting scared, you know, from this, 
these these are just raised percentages as far as nobody nobody for sure is going to for sure get cancer no woman listening to this that um you know didn't breastfeed her babies uh, had her first baby you know 35 uh, there's going to be exceptions to all these rules it's just that you don't want to necessarily raise your 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 chances and your risk of it if you don't have to plus again um that more natural lifestyle that getting married younger having babies younger um again speaks to and addresses the issue of the demographic collapse but it also having more babies helps your children to have the social group that humans have generally grown up with in the past where they have several siblings and there's the effects of having just one or two children one in many cases uh, on on a child you know in their future haven't been really researched well but I, my feeling is is that it won't be positive as compared to having three or four you know siblings uh, as it was common or even more in the, in the past my grandfather was a child he had like he had there was there was eight of them eight eight siblings in the family so and that again that was very common so that's just back two generations from me so when i look at things jacob this has been my experience in my life you know personally my personal experience but then even more so in my research that any time we go from away from the natural lifestyle so natural lifestyle i've been describing you know pre uh, uh condoms pre hormonal birth control and more to the Catholic idea of, you know, marriage is about unitive and procreative and being well, being open to life and that type of thing. Um, that is more the natural, I think, human um, way and the natural way that God intended for things for, for, for things to be for us. And there's there are health rewards to that. I guess is what I'm what I'm saying. It's what I've observed. So, uh, any other questions or thoughts on that? Um, so there, the, the opposition or, you know, the, the abortion industry, Planned Parenthood, uh, certain people mm-hmm. essentially say that, uh, abortion does not contribute towards breast cancer. And there's a very strong narrative that, uh, anyone who says there's a link between abortion and breast cancer is pushing, um, an agenda. Meanwhile, there's also um, the AACR journal. It's a medical journal that's published um, medical a medical study that shows that you know the you know abortion increases the risk factor of of breast cancer. Um, yeah, so essentially, one side is saying it's it's um, you know the the, the pro abortion side essentially is saying that it's not. Um, open for debate. It's closed. It's you know, it's not worth looking at. It's this is all, you know, you know essentially saying that we're not even in discussions. Meanwhile, we're saying the opposite. I suppose that yeah, it's 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 connected. We we have scientific evidence. There's data. There's studies. Um, and so by putting those two together, it's obviously not a closed debate. But but one side doesn't even want to debate or talk about it. Um, and so that's been my experience is that they're essentially saying, you know, this is no longer a discussion, essentially just trying to silence the opposition, um, by saying that the opposition doesn't really exist, I suppose, or that there is no discussion to have. Um, what, you know, what have you seen when it comes to data and that 
connection between abortion and breast cancer? Well, same as you. Uh, and uh, again, the, the political climate that we're going through right now, um, any um, anything that goes against the, the narrative that the that the um, mainstream media and just general the uh, power elites in the country are trying to put across is not met with it, with uh, you know a fair uh, discussion or a fair, a fair hearing. So, and right off the bat, what you're describing there, you know, m- makes my um, sense of there's something wrong here, uh, go up, but, uh, to add to the group that you mentioned, there's also a real responsible group, um, called the American college of pediatricians. So the American college of pediatricians, there's another group of pediatricians that have a different name that I can't bring, bring up, I mean, bring to mind, but they would be along the lines of what you've been describing. Uh, there's nothing to see here. You know, the, the, uh, the research is, is inconclusive and that type of thing. Um, and so in addition to that, that there's a, there's a very reputable group of, P, of the American College of Pediatricians who's done research, some of the research that I was citing about the, the pre, uh, pre-32 uh, weeks uh, adverse effects and the fact that some of the other research that they've observed, they've noticed that it's been cherry-picked and, and the data that, they, that they've seen being used by these other groups um, hasn't actually been, you know, scientific. It hasn't been actually uh, fairly, fairly uh, weighed in, in the in the in the long 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 run. So, like so many things, I think in our society right now, um, there's a very skewed picture coming at us from so many uh, different uh, angles and so many different um, around sexuality, especially uh, so many elements of sexuality. I think that have inaccurate. Um, science that's being um, professed. And again, my experience is that in, in the more legitimate uh, research studies, the last 10 years maybe or so, a lot of it hasn't gotten funded because again, there's a political, I think, bent to what gets funded right now and what doesn't. So, and again, the people who fund, sometimes if it's not government funding, then you know the, the private entities that fund it they're looking for a particular outcome as well. So, so to answer your question, I think there's reputable people that are adding uh, abortion as, as a risk factor into that line, that whole line of risk factors that I've explained up to this point, all of which are unnatural. I mean, when you, when you, when you look at it, every, they all have that in common. They're unnatural from the way, the pattern of the past. So, you know, I think that we've been kind of uh, lulled into sleep on all this, maybe not about abortion, but the rest of it, as far as, you know, uh, my wife and I came up during the time where they said, okay, two children, you know, you want to have two, two children, you want to use hormonal birth control. That's the smart thing to do. You know, you can be rich, you know, if you, nobody, everybody should be able to be rich in America if they just have limited two children. And, and besides your <laughs> women are on, it's bad for them to have, uh, more than more than two children, bad for them, ruins their bodies, uh, makes them unhealthy, that type of thing. And you know, I literally, as a fitness professional, I experienced the opposite because I had these. This is just empirical. This is empirical, yeah, but it's also anecdotal. But it goes along with what we're talking about. I had the two healthiest women I ever trained as a personal trainer that were in their forties, forties to early fifties, 
uh, each had eight kids. And, and again, this is the 1990s, early 2000s. And this is, I was still, I'm still thinking along the lines of more than two kids for a woman ruins them, ruins their body, ruins their health. Well, there's quite a lesson for me in, in that I had one that was a Catholic. She had eight children. And the other one was a Mormon that had eight, eight children. And actually, they were a lot healthier than a lot of the women that I was training that were in their 20s. So I, I realized right then, anecdotally, that hmm, this thing that this urban myth, you know, of going around about women in our society, you know, being ruined if they have more than two children. Boy, that's a, is that off, you know, with, with, with these, these ladies. So they were just perfect examples of that. So, now, again, you look back in your family history, for one thing, you see the... You know, my little, I can picture my little grandmother, great grandmother, I guess, because she's the, she's the mother of my, my grandfather, little, this little woman with the, like these eight kids surrounding her. And she looks as prim and proper as, <laughs> as you could imagine. She's in great shape. You know, she's a little woman. She's not carrying extra, extra fat, you know, like they're so common these days. She isn't, she isn't struggling with obesity. And I think just what I've, what I've observed in my, in my work, as you can tell, but then also in the research is that putting women's uh, bodies through this cycle is really, really healthy for them. Getting pregnant, you know, running through the cycle, breastfeeding, you know, then getting pregnant, maybe, maybe three years time lapsing between the two. It's kind of what women's bodies were. I mean, not kind of, I mean, it's, it's it, as you start thinking about it, women's bodies are made for this. So at least most of them. So when you don't do it, when you don't follow that pattern, when you radically change it, and probably abortion is the most radical change of, of all of it you're you're asking for trouble you're asking for trouble in, in most cases not every case there's going to be women that go through this and have you know they don't do any things that we said that are positive they have an abortion and they're not going to ever have a they're never going to develop any reproductive cancers but there's going to be a lot more that do there's going to be a, on a population basis there's going to be a lot more that do and by raising the risks that they, by their behavior there i call it the young women's uh, wellness lifestyle you know what's your what's your wellness lifestyle young woman and being told like they're being told on the college campuses these days and and, and through society TikTok, whatever you want to name that casual sex you know for one thing is 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 good for you you know and and all you got to do is I, I ran into some down in one, one of the universities I was, I was at that their philosophy was you know living a casual sex lifestyle a hookup lifestyle, and then they were good. They're going to be good health practitioners, take care of the health, but they're going to get checked, you know, for for STDs every, I think, two months, you know, two or three months at this sexual wellness center that I happen to be giving you know, talks at and that type of thing. And and the sexual wellness center was, you know, there are people like us that that realize that that isn't the, the lifestyle that you want to have, but they were able to these folks in the pregnancy help movement were able to, who were running this, uh, were able to reach out to these young women and, and have some conversations with them and, and talk with them. And so on one hand, it's good. They were thinking that way because they're coming into these centers, these sexual wellness centers. On the other hand, again, the thought process that they've been taught to be, to, to be going to them, to think that this is the thing they need to do to have a healthy sexual, you know, sexual wellness, practice sexual wellness, uh, habits. Uh, they're they're way way far off on that. So, so in our society, we've gone so far off the rails, especially when it comes to young women's um, lifestyle 
and particularly their relational or sexual lifestyle that, you know, we've got a long way to come back. And I, I think that it, that is an admirable, um, if you're listening to me out there, pregnancy uh, center uh, director, you know, and you maybe have one of these sexual wellness centers, maybe you're near a college campus, a university campus, and that's all, all on purpose. That's a wise, that's a wise move. And I'm a guy that can come and help you with your staff to, to learn a lot about sexuality, heterosexuality, that will help them to counsel, you know, these young women that they're dealing with. So it's, it's a wise approach. And there's these young women, again, particularly the ones that are, they, 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 they see themselves as being, you know, responsible and being sex, ha, having good sexual wellness habits by doing this check, but still, you know, living the sex, the active sexual, casual sexual life. But since they're, that's where they're at, then that's the lifestyle that they're in. Um, I think this approach of having a pregnancy help center that may be right on the campus or very near the campus that is for the actual, when they're already pregnant, you know, and dealing with that situation of trying to help them not to make the decision to have an abortion, but then having this other preventive branch, this sexual wellness center or sexual health center that really doesn't say anything about, you know, uh, abortion or anything like that. I think that's a wise move these days, but it's also kind of sad that we have to have that, that, that we've come to that point. Hmm. Well, so, um, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing, you sharing this insight on just the, um, the benefits of, of living certain, you know, having certain behaviors, living a certain, um, having certain sexual integrity, you know, keeping sex within marriage, um, limiting certain behaviors or restraining them to be within marriage and how that, um, impacts someone, someone's health, someone's, um, yeah, long-term health or avoiding cancers. Our sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and irapture.com. The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of irapture.com. If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.
Oh